0: your Bibles and open with me to the book of Joshua. Old Testament, book of Joshua. We're going to be looking at chapter 14 this evening. Joshua chapter 14. We're going to be looking at Caleb tonight, Caleb's uh, life, and hopefully gleaning some uh, great insight from his life and uh, just asking God that he would help us to see that. Help us to apply it. Help us to grow in it. So let's take another moment and just go before the Lord in prayer and ask that his, this time of uh, studying His Word would be blessed. Would you join me? Father, we come before You again just now opening Your Word, and we realize that it is exactly that. It is Your Word, and we need to hear from You. We need to hear from Your Word. We need to understand Your Word, and we need to apply Your Word. Help us to do that tonight, Lord. I just ask that you give us um, ears to hear, give us a heart, Lord, that longs to, to put it into practice, and help us, Lord, to take out of our time of Bible study tonight everything that you have for us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Joshua chapter 14. Well, Caleb, he stands out in the Scripture as a great hero of the faith for us. He really does Uh, think about it this way Caleb he was born a slave he was born a slave in Egypt and yet he died a hero in a similar way we were born slaves right we were born slaves to sin and yet we have the opportunity to leave that life behind that life of, of Egypt if you will that life of slavery of hard labor we have the opportunity to leave that behind in Christ. Just as Caleb left Egypt as a result of that final plague, the death of the firstborn, when he applied the blood of the Passover lamb to the, the doorposts, that was his way of escape that brought him out of Egypt, made him free. In the same way, we've, we've been set free by Christ, our Passover lamb, right? Right? So we're able to leave that life of slavery behind and enter into all the things that God has for us. Caleb serves us as a wonderful example and a great hero of the faith. I think of a couple of verses here that uh, just to kind of give us some footing as we begin our time in, in study, Hebrews chapter six, it says, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Caleb is one who exemplifies this wonderfully. He is one who through faith and patience inherited the promise of God in his life. We have the opportunity to do that as well. I like the word that he uses here. He says that you do not become sluggish. And I think that's a great word to describe how we can enter into this, this place of com- complacency in our lives. It is so easy to become lazy. It is so easy to be- become complacent in our faith. And what we're being urged here, here in the book of Hebrews, is don't do that. Find an example, find someone who has lived it out, find a model that you can look to. Find someone. who who serves as one who is living the victorious Christian life and do what they do. And so in some ways, although Caleb, uh, not a New Testament saint, but certainly one that we can follow and one that we can glean from. So he's an example that we can follow and and, uh, that we can be looking at tonight, and I pray that we would. By the way, six times we are told in the Scriptures, six times, that he wholly followed the Lord. Six times. I'll give you a a couple of those here. In Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, it says, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, this is God speaking, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Because he has a different spirit in him, because he's followed God fully, he's now going to inherit those promises. And then in Deuteronomy chapter one it says, "Surely not one of these men of this evil generation shall see that good land of which I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and his children I am giving the land on which he walked, because he wholly." followed the Lord perhaps you're familiar with the account here but they came to Kadesh Barnea it's the place where they were just about to enter into the promised land and they send out 12 spies right to, to spy out the land to see what they're up against before they cross the Jordan River and inherit the promises of God and you you know the story 10 of those spies come back with an evil report and it discourages everybody It discourages the whole congregation of Israel. And they're convinced right there it's just too hard. We can't do it. It's too hard. We cannot take possession of the land. There's giants in the land. And so what do they do? They want to go back. Let's go back to Egypt. You know, we we can't go forward, so let's retreat backward. And God just says, every one of you, this generation, you're going to die in the wilderness. Except for Caleb, except for Joshua, there were, there were a few. But by and large, that whole generation would die in the wilderness because they would not embrace by faith the things that God had promised them, and they would not cross over. But Caleb was different, right? Caleb was different. He wholly followed the Lord. He was, he was committed to God. He was uh, a man of faith, and he, he saw he saw that God made a way for them to go, and he believed that God could bring them in and that they could indeed uh, take possession of the land. Well, that's the first thing that I want to talk about here is, uh, is that very thing, taking possession of the promise of God. We pick it up in a section of Joshua. How many of you felt fairly familiar with the book of Joshua? You guys Familiar with kind of the, the way that this book flows. The, the opening parts of Joshua, they're exciting, right? They're exciting. The that, that people are, uh, it, it's the account of victory. They're crossing the Jordan River. You know, they're, they're crossing into this, this land that God had promised them. It's a good land. And there's, you know, all of this excitement. We got the walls of Jericho falling down and, and they're, they're winning these uh, military battles and they're taking possession of the land. And then we get about midway through the book and then we start come into this part really where we are tonight where now it begins to talk about the inheritance and it reads almost like a genealogy right you guys familiar with that it's kind of you know all this excitement and all of a sudden it kind of becomes uh, can we call it boring can, can we call the scriptures boring i mean it, it probably not um but but honestly that's kind of how we wrestle with it it, it reads like a genealogy and we're you're, you're kind of reading it you're like what does this have to do with me, you know, and and each tribe is listed, and they got this city, and they got that city, and their borders are here, and border, and for us, it's not real exciting, but put yourself in their shoes for a moment. If you were in that tribe, guys, you would be sitting on the edge of your seat. It'd be like, uh, you know, reading the will from your wealthy grandfather who passed away, and you're like, "What, what did he leave me? You know, what did he leave me? What, what's in it for me? What, what, what am I going to inherit and that's what these sections are about. So let's read the opening five verses there, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Joshua 14, chapter, or I'm sorry, Joshua 14, verse 1. These are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot. Make a note of that. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan. But to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. And they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. And verse 5, As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So there's a lot of details there. It deals with the Levites and the fact that the Levites were not given an inheritance. They did not have a, a, their own portion um, because the Lord was their portion. Uh, it deals with the tribes that stayed on the other side of the Jordan. Um, But the main thing that I want us to see about this section tonight is that we're looking here at the tribe of Judah. That's kind of where we find ourselves here. And the the thought is, is that God is giving them this land, but it was given by Lot. They received possession by Lot. What does that mean? Here's what I want to tell you. This was not like a gold rush where everybody was racing into this new land, this good land, and staking a claim. I claim this for myself. That's not how it worked. God gave them a possession. It was predetermined by God. Let me say it differently. God is sovereign. God is sovereign in our lives, and He's given us our lot in life. Think about this. Think about how this applies to you today. You didn't choose your parents. God was sovereign over that. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose where you were born, what nation you were born in, what city you were born in, or the time in history that you live. You didn't choose your gender, you didn't choose your race, you didn't even choose the type of upbringing that you had. God was sovereign all of those things. God was working behind the scenes putting all of those things into place and you inherited them in a sense by lot. Now understand this for a moment that this land was not necessarily all equal. Some tribes they might have gotten a better possession. I mean that's just the honest truth. Can we can we look at at, at our world today and say that that's not how it is? Your life is different than the person sitting next to you, the things that you inherited, the way that that God has worked in your life. It's different than someone else. And if we we start looking around, we might say, "Well, wait a second, this isn't fair. How come they got this? And how come they got that? And again, there's a mystery to this. There's a, a divine mystery to how all of this works in God's sovereignty. But just understand this. They didn't get to choose it they were given it by lot. God was sovereign over this, and He is sovereign over our lives as well. Now, imagine this. What if we got to choose? What if, what if it was up to us? What if it was up to them to, to get, you know, fi- find their spot? Can you imagine the competition? Can you imagine they'd be pushing one another down to try to get the best place, the place with the best water? That was obviously very key in this time. And so they'd be competing with one another and and trying to overtake one another to get the better part. But instead they could just rest in God's sovereignty and say, this is what God has given me. This is the lot that I have in in my life. This This is my possession. It goes from here to here and it's mine. And that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Because what we see Caleb doing is taking his lot. Taking his possession. And he makes the most of it. Human nature is such that we just aren't satisfied. As as human beings, this is something we really, really, really struggle with. I mean, it's so easy to compare ourselves with with others and and look at those that have it better than us or have more than us or whatever and, and to be jealous of them or to covet what they have. And we can certainly understand that, yes, this would be common in the world, but guys, it's common amongst believers as well. It's common amongst God's people as well. We are constantly comparing ourselves with others. For for pastors, this is a big deal. This is a big problem for pastors. One of the common things that happens at, at pastor's conferences, you know, you get all these pastors together and they, they start talking about, yeah, my church, you know, we're running about 500 right now. Got about 500 folks, you know, and and, and everybody else is is there, you know, well, we're doing this, and well, we're doing this. And, and and there's this constant, you know, kind of trying to, you know, level up here and see where do I stand, you know? Where where do we, we stand here? So it's a struggle for pastors. Guys, if I can be honest, it's been a struggle for me in my ministry as a worship leader. About 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I recorded a CD, and, and you know what? I, I just, I, I was listening to to... Uh, artists back then, you know, and and I would hear these incredible soaring voices, you know, these tenor voices. Just and be, man, if I could, if I could just sing like that, you know, but that's not the lot God has given me. I don't have this big soaring voice. I can't, you know, hit all these high notes or, or whatever, like like the guys you hear on the radio. But this is the lot that God has given me. Just to have a, a simple voice. And, and to lead a, a, a simple congregation in worship. Comparing brings despairing. Comparing brings despairing. It really does. Instead of looking around at, at, at those around you that might have a greater gift or greater possessions or whatever it may be, instead of, of comparing yourself to them, take possession of what God has given you. Take possession of what God has given you and cultivate it. They're taking this land and and they've got this land there and it's theirs to take. They've got a border. They can only have so much. They can't have more. They can only have what God's given them but what He has given, they can now improve it. So whatever it is that God has given you, whatever gift you have, cultivate it. Improve it. Be a steward over that. Last Wednesday, we talked about 1 Peter chapter 4. We talked about that section there where it says each one of you has been given a gift. That God in His grace, He's He's poured out gifts. He's poured out things into our lives. And we're to steward those things. We're to improve those things. We're to take those things and use them to bless others. And I just want to encourage you to do that. You have a gift. Take possession of it. Cultivate it. Improve it where you can. Caleb does this. Caleb does this. He takes possession of the gift that God has given him. So let's begin to kind of see how he does this and just the way that he is an example to us. The first thing I'd like us to see specifically about Caleb is that he is an example of loyalty and faithfulness. Notice this with me. Verse 6, it says, Then the children of Judah came to Joshua in Gilgal, And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in uh, Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. He is an example of faithfulness. He goes on to say, So, so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever because you have wholly.'" followed the Lord my God. So Caleb serves us as an example of loyalty and faithfulness. Think about this for just a moment. Remember, there's 12 spies. There's 12 spies that are going out and they're they're checking out the land and and they see it and they come back. And what happens? 10 of them give an evil report. 10 of them are like, it's too hard. We can't do it. And so all of the people, he says here, he says, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. So all of Israel, they've come this far. They've come out of Egypt. God has done incredible things. He's parted the Red Sea. They've crossed over on dry land. He's destroyed the Egyptian army in the sea. They've seen God work incredible things. And now here they are ready to take possession, and they can't do it. They don't have the faith. Now, imagine what's happened here. There is this uproar, and you got 10 spies who are saying, we can't do it. Joshua and Caleb are greatly outnumbered. I don't know about you, but for me, it is really hard to hold your ground. It's really hard to hold your ground when you are outnumbered, when there are all of these voices who are contrary to you, all of these voices who are, are so loud and so convincing and it would be so easy just to say, okay, you know, hey, I, I, I defer, I defer to the masses here. Whatever they want to do, I'm good with that. It would be so easy just to cave right there. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead, he lifts up his voice and he says, no, we can actually do this. God will strengthen us and we can take possession of the land. Now, in the end, he's overruled, right? The, the people, they just, they won't hear it. The people are fearful, they're afraid, they're not walking in faith, so they will not take possession, but, but Caleb, he is right there, and he's an example of loyalty and faithfulness, even in the midst of, of a world that, we are, uh, that is running contrary to us. I think you guys understand this. Our world, the views of our world, the, the time in which we live, It's like swimming upstream and it's difficult. And if we're going to shine for Christ, if we're going to stand for Christ, sometimes we're going to stick out like sore thumbs. I mean, that's just the honest truth. People are not going to like you. They're not going to like me. Are we okay with that? Are you okay with that? Are you okay with with opposition? They wanted to go back. How did he do this? How did he manage to survive this time? Guys, it's because he walked by faith and not by sight. The the way that he was able to persevere, the way that he was able to, to, to remain faithful to God, he walked by faith and not by sight. He didn't look at the things around him. He didn't see the world the way everyone else did. Instead, he viewed it through faith and he believed what God had said. The next thing I'd like us to think about is that he is an example of suffering. He's an example of one who endures difficulty and endures hard times. Again, think about this. Uh, let's see, let's pick it up in verse 10. It says, And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these forty Five years, make a mental note of that, 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. This is truly remarkable to me. I don't know if I'm going to be able to communicate it well. I I pray so, but this is just amazing to me. Caleb wanted to take, and, uh, take the land right then. Joshua wanted to take the land right then. The people didn't. And so what happened? Caleb ends up wandering in the wilderness for 45 years, or 40 years. 40 years. Think about that. This was not, not his idea. I mean, if there was ever an I told you so moment, I mean, think about what he lived with here. Think about his life just ebbing away when he's thinking, man, I could be right now having some, some milk and honey. I mean, the land is flowing with it. But here we are in the desert. Think about just the incredible suffering that is that generation just died off one by one. Imagine what that would be like, the people that you're living with, the people that you're walking with, just one by one, dying in the wilderness when you could have had God's best. And there they are. And He is suffering with them, not because of His choice, but because of the faithlessness of the people and sometimes guys that is again our lot in life sometimes you have suffered or you will suffer because of other people's choices it's not right it's not right it's not fair but it's real and and probably all of us can think of examples where that's true in our lives that you have suffered, that you have gone through hardship because of someone else's mistake, someone else's sin, someone someone else's poor choice, and you've had to endure suffering. Caleb endures it for 45 years. You might think, well, surely he's this bitter old guy by now, right? No. How, How did he avoid being bitter at this point in his life? Again, he kept his eyes fixed on things above. I think about Billy's message from Sunday there in Colossians to set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. How how did Caleb endure this time of suffering? Because he remembered the promise. He's looking ahead to the promise. His his affections, his mind, the the things that he has his life set on are eternal things. He's not thinking about the the sand and the dust and the the wilderness that he's walking through. That's not where he's, he's focused. Instead, he's thinking about the promise of God, the promises that God gave him those many years ago. That's what he's focused on. That's how he endured suffering. That's how you and I endure suffering. If you're going through difficulty right now, the way that we can walk through that and not become angry and not become bitter is to think about heaven. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. If we'll do that, we can endure disappointments. We can endure afflictions. We can endure suffering. So Caleb is a a wonderful example of that. The fourth thing I want to share is that he's an example of victorious living. He's an example of victorious living. Look with me at verse 11. Notice what he says. He's 85 years old. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, As yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified, it may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord had said. He's 85 years old, and he's saying, give me this mountain. I don't know about you, but I, I love this. And I think about this, this older gentleman, right? This older guy, and, and I don't know. It just it, The images that I'm seeing are... I've, He's ready to take it on. I mean, he's ready to take on this fortress. He's ready to take on this stronghold. He's ready to take on the Anakim. You guys know who the Anakim are, right? They're this race of, of giants that lived in the land. We, we think about David who fought Goliath. Well, they were probably something similar to that. The idea is that these were men of war. They were not just people. <laughs> they were warriors, and they've got the high ground. They've got the mountain. Now, in warfare, if you, if you possess the high ground, if you possess the, the mountain, you've got the advantage. Even in modern warfare, that's still true. Maybe not as true as, as it was in this day. But if you had the high ground, you had the advantage, and Caleb is looking up at these guys, and whippersnappers, I'm going to come get you and beat you with my cane. I mean, he's, he's, he's ready to take them on. And he has this strength that is truly extraordinary. Notice what he says there, I'm as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now my strength is for war. Now, what's happening here? Is this miraculous strength? I mean, is is this, you know, I, I can't say, but the picture for us is that of being empowered by God. He has a strength that is not natural right it's not natural that an 85 year old man is ready to race up a mountain and take on giants i mean that's that's just not natural it's not a natural strength it's it's he's empowered by god and he's saying give me this mountain i think about what the scriptures tell us in second corinthians here he says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in god for pulling down strongholds that's what caleb is looking at right now he's looking at a stronghold He's looking at a mountain fortress and he's thinking, I'm going to take this thing down. And he serves as an incredible example for us. Not in the sense that we're going to go to war. Not talking about, you know, let's, let's go out outside the church and go find some people who disagree with us and, and take them out. That's not what I'm talking about here at all, right? But instead we're talking about spiritual battles, that the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, and specifically for us, spiritual strongholds. So Caleb is an example of one who's living an empowered life. He's living an empowered life, a victorious life, and he's ready to to take these guys on. There are lots of battles going on in our world today. I, I, I'm sure you guys sense them. You, you know that there's battles going on in your life. And I'm talking about spiritual things here. We need to begin to approach these things not in physical terms. Not in the sense of trying to, to, to take on a spiritual battle, but, but in prayer. That the weapons of our, our, our warfare, they're not carnal, but they're mighty through God to pull these things down. And so may God give us a strength and an enabling to do that very thing. Well, kind of with that, the next point is this, is that he gives us an example of aging. He gives us an example of what it looks like to grow older in the faith. He's 85 years old. I don't know that I'll make it that long. I mean, I was just honest. I mean, I don't, none of us are promised tomorrow, but with each passing day, He gives us a a wonderful example of not becoming sluggish, not becoming complacent. He's 85 years old, and he's he's taking on giants. He's taking on this mountain here. He's uh, living at a time when most people at that age, they're just wanting to just relax right i mean isn't that kind of the american dream you know we we put in our our time at work and then we just we retire so that we can just sit around and watch television all day that's what so many people are doing so many people are doing this and, and not even people that old most people are wanting to, to retire and just take it easy man and just just chill have this life of ease and this life of leisure. And, and Caleb says, No, thank you. I'm not interested in that. What an example for us, regardless of your age, that we should be looking for opportunities. We should be looking for opportunities to live out our faith, to not be sluggish, not be lazy, but to be diligent in seeking this out. Now, I am not, uh, I'm not 85 years old. I, no, no jokes, please. But I, I'm I'm not 85 years old, and so I've not walked in anybody's shoes that that is at, at that point in their life. Sometimes when um, you know people people talk, they they uh, it, it's kind of like if you're a parent, you'll you'll get this reference, you'll you'll understand what I'm I'm going for here. But it's kind of like when you're a parent and your friends who don't have kids give you parenting advice, right? Or when your single friend gives you marriage advice, that kind of a thing. So I'm not in any way here uh, to tell you, if you're 85 years old, I don't know if we have anyone here, uh, perhaps someone tuning in, uh, an older saint, an older person in the Lord. I'm not here to give you advice. I've not walked in your shoes. But I can say this, just what I've witnessed. There are many people who are older, and it's like they're just waiting to die. It's just they're just waiting for God to take them home. There's no vitality in their life. There's no strength in their life. There's no zeal in their life. And for us, let's not not grow old that way. That's not the way that we want to grow old. That's not the way that we want to finish out our time in this life. And Caleb is a wonderful example of one who at 85 years old is still ready for a fight. He's still ready to take on giants. Well, the last thing that I want to share with you is that he's an example of parenting. And I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Um, There may be a better way to, to say that. But look ahead with me, if you will, into chapter 15 and look with me at verse 13. So chapter 15, verse 13. It says, Now, to Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kiriath Arba, which is Hebron. So that's a city that that Caleb is taking possession of. And notice what it tells us, verse 14. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, uh, Ahimon, and Talmai. I probably really butchered their names, but that's okay. Uh, The children of Anak. So first of all, we understand that he did it. He actually did it. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just say, give me this mountain. Uh, I'm going to go fight with these guys. No, he actually did exactly what he set out to do. He drove these guys out. Verse 15, then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was Kiriath-sephir. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kiriath-sephir and takes it, to him I will give uh, Aksab, my daughter, as wife. Interesting. So he has a daughter. And he says, Here's how I'm going to marry my daughter off. I'm looking for someone who will go up to this uh, Kiryath Sefer uh, and take it, be victorious. That person I'm going to give my daughter to. Now, what does this mean for us? Well, I have three daughters. I have three daughters, and uh, they're still young. My oldest is 11 years old, so they're not at this age yet of dating or any of that kind of stuff. Um, But it's coming uh, for me. Um, I have three daughters, and I'm going to be extremely picky about the the boys that that are going to be able to court them. Um, And by the way, I I like this idea of arranged marriages. I don't know any any of you guys. I mean, um, obviously in our culture, that's not where we're at. But uh, I'm, I'd, hey, I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. It's, it's, uh, so he, he has an idea. I'm looking for a, a man of faith. I'm looking for a man of faith. And, and so he says, here's the deal. The guy who will take this city, who will attack this city and take it, that's the one that I'm going to give my daughter to. And so just in the sense of parenting, think about this with me a moment. I'm looking for for men for my daughters who are men of faith. I'm not talking about the, the boy who was just raised in a Christian home and, and whatever. I'm looking for the one who's going to demonstrate his faith. That's the kind of guy that I'm I'm going to say, you you can you can marry my daughter. Or daughter, you know. That's the kind of guy that I'm I'm willing to give her away to is the one that, that is, is not just going to talk about his faith, but the one that's going to go out and do it, the one that's going to go out and take a city and, and walk in that kind of bold faith and actually live it out. That's what I'm looking for as a parent. That's the kind of young man or uh, the kind of man that, I, that I'm willing to, you, you, can, you can marry my daughter. Right? So notice what, what, what happens here. So Othniel... Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it and he gave him Aksah, his daughter, as wife. So here we have Othniel. Now, does anybody recognize that name? Anybody, anybody that name sound familiar? Book of Judges. He's the first judge in Israel. Here's a godly man. Here's a godly man was walking out his faith. And he says. I, I, like, I like your idea, Caleb, and, and I will do it. I'm going to go take this city so that you will give me your wife. or I'm sorry. <laughs> That's a different story. Different story. So that you'll give me your daughter, and then he's going to have this legacy that he leaves behind. It's going to be a blessing, right, for the people of Israel. Othniel is going to be a godly man who's going to judge Israel, and it's going to be a good thing. So the idea here that I'm, that I'm trying to tell you is that it's Caleb's life, he, he, he lived it out in his youth. He lived it out in his, in his 40s when he went as a spy, and he spied out the land. he was wholly committed to the Lord. He walked in the wilderness. He suffered in the wilderness all those years, right? For, for a choice that he didn't make. He endured that time. He takes his possession. He lives victoriously. He gets the city. But it doesn't end with him. He leaves a legacy. And guys, that's what I long for us, is that our faith wouldn't die with us, but that the next generation would carry it on. And for years, and, and for years after that, That we would leave a legacy of faith that impacts God's people for generations to come. That's what I'm longing for, for my life, for my daughters, and that's what I want for you guys as well. That we would be wholly devoted to the Lord, that we would live lives of faith. So in closing tonight, Caleb's success was not about his physical strength, it was about his devotion to the Lord. His success was because of his faith in God, because he believed God. He believed the promises of God, and he held on to that promise for years and years and years, even when it was difficult, even when people were, were dying all around him. He, he maintained his faith and his devotion to the Lord. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, "...for whatever is born of God overcomes the world." And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Guys, if we will believe God, if we will trust Him, if we will walk in in devotion to Him and in loyalty with Him, then we will be overcomers. Just as we're talking about Caleb being an overcomer, Someday someone will be able to talk about your life as as a person of faith, as as an example of the faith, as someone that they can follow and, and model their lives after. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Is that true? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And then just a few verses later, it says this in Romans 8. 37. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. It's not our strength. It's it's through Him. It's through Him who loved us. But more than conquerors. Not just conquerors, but more than conquerors. That's how Caleb lived. He wasn't just a conqueror. He was more than a conqueror. And that's the example that he is to us and we have the opportunity to walk in that same kind of victorious faith that he had. Amen? So let's close in prayer and ask God for that. Father, we come before you tonight and I, I just want to say amen. Lord, would you cause us to be victorious in you? Would you cause us, Lord, to walk in your strength? Would you cause us, Lord, to live it out and and it For it to be evident to everyone around us that we wholly follow the Lord. That we're completely devoted to you. That we're not holding anything back. Cause us, Lord, to be victorious. And by faith, Lord, to pull down strongholds in your name. And then, Lord, just a a prayer for us as we age. I just know how quickly our, our lives vanish away, Lord. They're here for a moment, then they're gone. They're like a vapor. One moment we're young and we're in our teens or, or 20s and we, it seems that we blink our eyes and, and we're, uh, decades have passed. Lord, help us to age with this same kind of vitality, the same kind of de- determination, Lord, not to become sluggish, not to be lazy, but, Lord, to, uh, to grow in this with each passing day. And then, Lord, to leave a legacy that our children behind us or those that we minister to, maybe, maybe not our own children, maybe just the, the lives that we touch as we go through life, that they would in turn follow you and walk with you and be that example. So Lord, I'm asking that you work that in me and everyone here and those tuning in online, Lord, that we would be more than conquerors in Christ. And we ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, let-